Acts chapter 9, and today we're going to cover verses 1 through 22 as we look at the conversion and commission of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who would eventually be known as Paul the Apostle. He was a man who was saved to serve, and we're going to see that today. He was uh, pardoned for a purpose. He was converted with this great commission. And so, you know, I just pray that you guys would, uh, like, just know that this is an amazing radical testimony, a conversion, you know, for him. But I think in, in one sense, we can all relate to it in many ways. Uh, you guys were saved to serve. You may not be an apostle or an evangelist like, like that, but it, it doesn't matter. And one isn't even better than the other. Just remember, you were saved to serve. You were pardoned with a purpose. You were converted with a commission. And so the great challenge of life is to find out what that is and to be obedient to that calling upon your life. You know, Saul was a man who would be saved and raised up and used by God to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He wrote at least 13 books of the Bible. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see there's so much here. But, but what I wanted to do, just to give you something to chew on uh, today, is I want to give you uh, three things about his conversion and three things about his commission. So that's not too much to remember, huh? Three things about his conversion and three things about his commission. And I thought it would be cool just to make it fun that if you can remember the two main points and the six sub-points, then today what we'll do is we'll enter you into a drawing for a free iPad. Uh, today so um remember that and then we actually have a picture of it right here what it is and how to use it there's the ipad right there <laughs> so just remember two main points six sub points if you want the ipad we'll talk afterwards okay so let's look at acts 9 in verse 1 it says then saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this uh, section here is his conversion. And the first point we see is that Saul was lost. He was definitely lost, big time lost. I mean, we read back in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, that Saul was making havoc of the church. And so he was tearing it up. You know, he was beating them, tempting them to blaspheme. He was binding them, even persecuting them to the death, the Bible says in Acts 22, verse 4. You know, Saul had been persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. And according to Acts 8, 4, though, the church was then scattered, but it kind of backfired on him because wherever they went, the Bible says that they went uh, preaching the gospel. And so Saul discovered that there were disciples now in Damascus, and he's determined uh, to get them. And so here we see in 9, verse 1 of the book of Acts, that Saul is breathing threats. I mean, he's breathing murder. He wants to kill them. Uh, you know, he has his heart against the disciples of the Lord and so what he does is he goes and he makes it legal. He goes to the high priest who has jurisdiction over the Jews in Jerusalem as well as outside of Jerusalem. And the high priest grants him the authority to find any Christian, bring him back bound to Jerusalem, and then he can deal with them there. And so it's kind of cool. Just as a quick side note, I, I like the way that Christianity is called the way 
there in verse 2. Did you guys notice that? You might even circle that or underline that in verse 2. Again, that he goes, he asks letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, interesting, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You know, and that's what Christianity was called in the beginning. It was called the way. And you might wonder why. And according to Acts 16, verse 17, it's the way of salvation, right? It's the way of salvation. According to Acts 18, 26, it's the way of the Lord. And over in uh, the book of Acts, it says it's the way of God. And so Christ, what we find is the only way to heaven. Jesus said that in John 14, verse 6. And Christianity is the way God wants us to live on earth. And so the way is a perfect description of what Christianity is. The way to heaven, the way to live life on earth. And so, of course, the devil and his demons and the whole world was under the sway of the wicked one does not want us to know the way of God. And so what he does is he sends people like Saul with this uh, little hatred in their hearts, right, to do whatever they can to push us out of the way, get out of the way. That's what he tries to do in his ways. And so Saul now sets out on a journey. It's 160 miles to Damascus. It would take at least six days Uh, Saul was probably going to make it there in five days because he was speeding. I mean, the guy was traveling vigorously. The typical traveler of those days would take a break during the heat of the day, but not Saul. We read in Acts chapter 22, verse 6, that he was traveling at high noon. And so in the hottest part of the day, this man was so motivated with his mission to murder that he was still traveling. And so the first point under that banner of conversion is, number one, Saul was lost. Second point is Saul was loved. He was loved. And we read that now in verse 3. It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. You know, again, Saul's on his way. You know, suddenly he sees a light from heaven. It shines around him. A a light that Acts 22, 13 says was brighter than the sun. You know, he is probably on a horse, and there he is on his high horse. He gets knocked to the ground, and he's blinded by this light. This is a light that's beyond brilliant. It's beyond anything we've ever seen on earth. You know, nowadays, I don't know about you guys. I'm not cool enough. I don't know why. I just don't wear sunglasses. But most of you wear sunglasses, huh? How many of you guys? You know, and even with sunglasses on, we can barely look at our sun, which is 93 million miles away, Imagine having a light brighter than the sun in your face. Well, that's what happened to Saul. When he's looking at this light, the Lord Jesus appears to him, you know. And it's interesting because when you see that light, the Bible says that that's the light that's uh, going to light up heaven. You know, Revelation 21 and verse 23, speaking of the new Jerusalem, the Bible says that the city had no need of the Southern California Edison. No, it doesn't say that. Just <laughs> It had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. 
the lamb is its light. And so I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like, but when you're in your rooms and you need some light, it's going to be the glory of God that, that lights up the, the, the room. It lights up the world. It lights up heaven. It lights up New Jerusalem. And now this light has appeared to Saul. And what Saul saw was a sneak peek of the, of the glory of God. Later we'll read in Acts 22.11 that he says, I could not see for the, the glory of that light. And so, you know, we read right here that Saul not only saw the Lord, he also heard the Lord, and this voice called him personally and repeatedly. And I'll bet you almost anything, just as that vision was glorious, I'll bet you also the voice was glorious, right? You know, and and God just calls him uh, by name. I'm so blessed that God knows all of our names, and sometimes, however, he has to call us repeatedly, huh? Because we're so thick-headed, right? I mean, we are spiritually deaf at times. Manny, Manny, Manny. And then he hits me up the head, you know, side the head. Oh, Lord, okay, you're calling me. Yes, that's what he's doing right here. And he has to do that frequently in the Bible. I remember one time he called Samuel over and over again. Samuel, Samuel. Until finally, you know, Samuel responded. And God says, I want to speak to you. I have something to tell you. Do you guys know that the living God wants to speak to you? When was the last time you slowed down long enough and you listened to listen to his voice? You know, there, there was that time he called Martha. Remember, she was so busy working. Martha, Martha. In Luke ten forty one, God said, don't worry, don't be troubled, don't work too hard. I love you. You know, we need to hear that voice when God calls us repeatedly. He calls us personally. He knows your name. You know, and here it's Saul, Saul. You know, and, and it's interesting, in the Hebrew and the Greek language, his main name, it means desired one. You know, no doubt, okay, Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, so no doubt his family named him after the first king of Israel, because he is from the tribe of Benjamin as well, and his name was Saul. And his name means desired. And so it's kind of interesting, when you look at the Bible, basically what happens is Saul was desired by the people of God. They wanted a king. They desired a king. They desired Saul. He was the desired one of the people of God. But now we see something different. Saul was desired by God. I mean, it's one thing, and it's kind of cool to say, hey, I'm desired by the people of God. I don't know if that really you know, makes you tick. But man, to know that you're desired by God is something so amazing, especially when we look in the mirror and we realize who we really are. I mean, Saul was lost, and you guys don't even know the, the, the terrible wickedness of the depth of the depravity this man was in, the darkness and the influence of Satan that had gripped his heart. You have no idea how lost this man was. But we have no idea also how loved this man was. And you guys, you got to know, that's all of us. That's all of us. We're all lost, but we are all loved. And that's what we see right here. And when God arrests him on this road uh, to Damascus, I mean, even though um, he was pursuing Christians for bad, Christ is pursuing him for good. He was as lost as lost could be, but he was also as loved as loved can be. And in spite of all he'd done, you know, the binding, the beating, all the bleeding of God's people, even though 
Saul was the ringleader man of this opposition, the persecutor, the murderer of the church, even though he was on his way to Damascus to hunt down disciples to die. God was hunting for him to live. And I'm telling you this, man, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, God is hunting for your heart today. God wants to capture your heart. God wants to save you so that you can find satisfaction in serving him. God wants to pardon you to give you the purpose for which you were really made. There is a conversion that God wants to take place so that you might follow the the commission. Who knows? Maybe you're the next Billy Graham. We have yet to see what God will do with the one who is completely sold out to him. You know, we see, you know, inklings of it in Saul and we see it in Billy Graham. Why not you? Not to live your life, but to live his life. You know, I just, when I read this right here, I think of, you know, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then in the next verse, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, God here is reaching out to to Saul. I mean, it's interesting. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Do you guys ever lose your keys? You lose your phone? Find my iPhone? You're looking for it. You know, I, I lose things all the time. I think I have a lot of gray hair because I'm always looking for things that I lost. God's looking for you, my friend. You know, we're lost. We're lost. If you're not following Jesus Christ, you are lost. But you are loved. And you have now an opportunity, just like Saul. He's going to have an opportunity. To make a difference. To make a choice. You know, looking at this, it's important for us to know that it's not just a vision. This is an appearance. According to 1 Corinthians 15.8, Jesus invaded time and space. And so, you know, he sees Christ. He hears Christ who then questions him. And he asks him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's an interesting question. It means a couple of things. First of all, pointing to the fact that Christ identifies himself so intimately and personally with his people that when we suffer he suffers we have to know that sometimes people shake their fists at god and they say i don't understand why you allow so much suffering you got to know that when you cry a tear he cries a thousand more see he knows what we're going through he suffers with us it's interesting what the bible teaches in matthew 25 31 through 40 jesus said That when we feed the hungry, when we take in the homeless, when we clothe the naked, when we visit the sick, when we go and visit the one in prison, that we're actually doing those things to him. That's what the Bible says. And the flip side, however, is true as well. Saul was persecuting, binding, beating, killing Christians. And in a very real sense, he was doing this to Christ. And although he did it ignorantly, the Bible says, according to 1 Timothy 1.13, And so now things are beginning to unfold. He's discovering that his persecution is against the Lord, this light, this love that has just appeared to him. But he still doesn't know exactly who it is. 
And so he asks again there in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And, you know, and I don't know what's rolling through his mind right there. You know, he's, he's on his way to Damascus. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was on a horse. He falls off the horse. He's on the ground. He can't see. He, see, he had seen this light. He, I'm sure, had felt this love. He, now he's hearing this voice. So I'll so why are you persecuting me? And still in the back of his mind, he doesn't know for sure, but I bet you he's starting to figure this out. He says, oh, no, it can't be. It can't be. And then as he's there thinking this through, he hears those words. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine the ton of bricks that just fell on him when he heard those words? Can you imagine? And as he hears those words, something starts happening in his, his heart, you know. And uh, what ends up happening is all the things that he's been thinking and the things that he's been seeing. And now you put it all together and he's realizing that, that Jesus really is Lord. And God's starting to work in his life. I am Jesus. Something that's so interesting about what the Lord says. Notice again there in verse 9, that the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. You know, and, and, and when I read that, I mean, I'm, I, I would probably say something different. I mean, he could have, Jesus could have said, I know how hard it's been for my people. He could have said that. He could have said, I know how mean you are. I know how cruel you are. I know what you've done. I know why you're here. I know what you're going to do to them. But he doesn't. Don't you think it's interesting that the Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I know how hard it is for you. Can you imagine that? I know how hard it is for you. Saul, I see the turmoil inside of your heart. I see your fear. I see your insecurity. So I see the way you're grappling with this. And, you know, I don't know uh, what, you know, Saul went through in his life, you know. And uh, I don't want to make excuses or anything, man. But, you know, they say that Saul uh, received his Roman citizenship because his father fought in the war uh, and so, who knows, maybe his dad died in the war. You know, and just things like that. You know, you start looking at a person's life and you wonder, why are they so broken? Why do they have so much hatred? Why do they struggle? And when we look at them, all we see are the, the manifestations of things. And we see the, the way they fall short. But isn't it so cool how God sees inside? God sees deep. God sees what, what's, what's broken. God sees how it got broken. Because of his love. And rather than, you know, what we would say, I can't believe how messed up you are. What does God say? God says, I know how hard it is for you. And if you're here and you're struggling, you're hurting, you're dying inside. I want you to know that that's the God that we serve, that he sees and he knows how hard it is for you. 
And you might not see a light, you know, literally, but there is a light and there is a love that's reaching out to you today. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. I can't imagine the turmoil that he was going through, but I also can't even begin to fathom the depth of God's love that he would love a man like that. But he does. He tells Saul, you know, this statement, it's, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And, you know, the goad would be a long stick with a pointed end, and it was used for prodding animals. Uh, I think we might have a picture of one here. And so, you know, the, the, the farmer, he would goad it. And uh, if the, the ox got stubborn or resistant, he would kick against it or he'd move against it and it would hurt, it would bleed. And what God is trying to tell Saul is, man, you know, you, you've been through all this. Uh, you were raised in, in the scriptures. You know, you were educated in, in Tarsus and then at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a great rabbi and... You know, you know the scriptures and now when you've seen, you know, this whole thing about Christianity and you saw Stephen die and you've seen all these people die, you know, the men, the women, the children, they not only died, they suffered. And not only did he see them, he heard them. Undoubtedly, the the message of love that they shared, you know, with him of salvation, it started to goad him with the word and it all started, you know, to come together, all started to make sense. You know, I'm not here by accident. I'm not here by some random process of evolution, pointless, mindless. I'm not here for my own reason. I mean, look at all the religions of the world and they're all trying to work their way up to God. Christianity is the only one that works its way down to men. Jesus Christ died, rose again to prove who he was. This is a religion. This is a relationship. This is a belief that's based on love. And all I have to do is to give him my heart. It's like God is saying, will you marry me? And you have to answer that, yes or no. It's so simple. And things, you know, they just started to come together for him. He started to see it all happen. And then and realize, you know, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. What I'm doing is wrong. You know, and it's a beautiful time when we realize in our life what I'm doing is wrong. And if you open up your heart and you look deep down inside, don't just take what the world has to say. Take what God has to say. And you realize, you know what? At the end of the day, what I'm doing is wrong then God begins to move because those are the convictions when the Holy Spirit begins working in someone's life. And you have to run with it. Don't kick against the goats. You know, I see, I'm sure Saul thought to himself, the true love of the Christians, the way they live, the, the way they die. They're not afraid to die. They know that when they die, they're, they're going to heaven. Do I have that peace? I mean, the more I search the scriptures, Saul said, the more I see that they're right, that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. I mean, he fulfilled 300 prophecies. You ever think about that? I mean, what are the odds of fulfilling 300 prophecies? If you were to take just eight of those prophecies and try to figure out the odds of that, it would be the equivalent of taking the whole state of Texas, covering it with, uh, with quarters, uh, putting a, a, a little mark on one of them and throw him, throwing him in the middle of Texas, two feet deep, blindfold him, and you try to find the one that has the mark on it. 
That's just eight prophecies. He fulfilled 300. You know, this is all coming together for him. But he continued to fight it. And he was getting bloody and beat up. And at the end of the day, really, he was ruining his life. He was killing himself. He was at that point. And then Jesus reached out to him. Now, when the Lord identified himself as Jesus, Saul still had a decision to make. I mean, you could, you could even be here today and you could know it's all true. You can know that it's all true. It doesn't save you. Then the next point is so important because not only was Saul lost and then Saul was loved, but eventually Saul came to a point where he confessed Jesus as Lord. And, that, and that's what he does next, huh? Notice again in verse 5, he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I know it's hard for you to kick against the goats. And so he, and again, who knows how long it is between verses 5 and 6. Whoa, it's Jesus, right? And then he, it says, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so the first main point, because I want you guys to win the iPad, okay? The, the first main point is conversion. And, and number one, Saul was lost. Number two, Saul was loved. And then number three, Saul confessed Jesus as Lord. And that's really the key, you know, the cry of the Christian. That's the sentence of someone who was sentenced to die. They knew they were deserving of death, but they found life and love. And perhaps it would be more accurate to say that love found them. Can you say that today? That Jesus is the Lord of your life? You know, I can almost hear someone say, well, that's too easy, you know, from lost to, to loved to Lord, you know, to life. And, and, and that's just how it is, you know. You got to repent. Repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. It's so simple and so powerful. And so here's the thing, man. The, the ton of bricks, it fell on him. Boom, Right? But then the moment he said, yes, the moment he said, Christ is Lord, then the burden was lifted. I know a lot of you guys have experienced that. I'll never forget the day that I gave my life to Christ. And I really meant it from the bottom of my heart, man. The burden was lifted. And it's so important for us to know that that's how simple it is. You believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, that, that Christ is raised from the dead, and you just confess Him as Lord. You know, you know when you read the Bible, Acts 16, 31, what do we need to do to be saved? You know, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and a lot of you here, you were dead, and now you live. You were blind, now you see. You were deaf, now you hear. You were mute, now you speak. You have that sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. It was a miracle what God did. He changed your life because you placed your faith in him. It's a gift. And I know sometimes people think it's ah, it's too simple. I don't know. We need to complicate it a little bit. No, you guys got to know this. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, yesterday I was kind of, every once in a while, I just kind of look at my phone. I got a little news app. Just trying to see what are the top stories. And I was just so devastated by one particular news story that I found. And I think we have a picture here of this uh, young lady. And, uh, 
you know, she's, she's beautiful. I mean, to me, I look at her and I think, wow, she's 20 years old. She has her whole life ahead of her. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw the story regarding her. Her name is Kaylee Muthart, only 20 years old. But what happened, I guess six months ago, uh, she started using crystal meth. And uh, even that was by an accident. Uh, she was actually just wanting to, to, to get high, I, I guess marijuana, and someone laced it with crystal meth. And so eventually uh, she got hooked on it and, uh, and she started to hallucinate. And what happened on this particular trip, again, she's been using it now for six months, is uh, she started hearing voices and she was hallucinating and she thought the world was upside down. And she heard voices that told her to sacrifice her eyes in order to go to heaven. So she went right in front of that church right there, Mercy Chapel. To me, it's just amazing. Right in front of that church and right there, got on the ground and she gouged out her eyes. Because she was hearing a voice that told her she needed to sacrifice her eyes in order to go to heaven. And so when she took out her first eye, the congregants, uh, I guess some of the ladies came out and they tried to stop her. They tried to help her, but she wouldn't let them. And so they called the paramedics and by the time they got there, she had taken out her second eye. You know, the day before it happened, uh, I guess the mom said, I was just getting ready to have her committed to a rehab to get her off the streets and away from the drug. But she said, it was too late. You know, and when I, when I read that story right there, I think to myself, wow, Lord, here's a, a gal, beautiful, beautiful young gal. She had her whole life ahead of her. And she's right there, right right outside the church, right there at the doorsteps of the church, if only she would know that Jesus' blood was enough, that all she has to do is believe in her heart and she'd be saved. And that's why it's so important that we understand how this works. I was lost, but I am loved. And so, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I believe with all my heart that right there on the dirty desert ground near Damascus, right there, Saul was saved. And right there in the chair that you sit in today, right there, it's an old chair. I think we've had him for like eight years now. Who knows who sat there before you, man? (laughs) Right there in the dirty, dusty desert, the road near Damascus, you can be saved. Just cry out from your heart, right there, right where you're at, saying, Lord, I acknowledge that I was lost and I am lost, but I acknowledge today that you love me even though I fall so short. And today, right here, right now, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And he'll come in. And he'll lift the weight of sin. That's the gospel. Because if you're not careful, you might go out there someday and some lie might come to your heart that will ruin your life. 
And when I read this right here, it's a story I think that we can all identify with. You know, and when you become a Christian, it's so cool the way that it works. Uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now that's how life works. Huh? Look at verse 6. And so he, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the every day, you know, wake up as a Christian. That's all you have to do. Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. In other words, he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither eat, ate nor drank. And so he's a completely different man, obviously. He wasn't expecting to enter Damascus like this. And at first, it might look bad, but I think because he saw the glory of God, you know, I think that, man, it's a good thing now because although he's blind physically, he's not blind spiritually. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't see. I read my Bible, went to church, but I still lived my own life and it didn't really make any sense. Why in the world would anyone live their own life contrary to the life that God would want them to live unless they're blind. But that's where Saul was. But now he's not, he's not blind. And he's not eating or drinking uh, probably because he just wants to seek the Lord. Now, three days without drinking any water can be very dangerous, especially if you've been traveling the way that he's been traveling in the desert in the heat of the day. And so the Lord sends someone to him we read in verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And the Lord said, oh, I didn't know that. No, I'm just joking. He didn't say that. You know, a lot of times we want to counsel God, like, hey, Lord, just, uh, you know, and, and the Lord says, it's okay, Right. He says there in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias went his way and entered his house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. And so I don't know if you're following yet. Maybe you might even take notes, but... Number one is just this conversion. I think something we can all identify with. 
uh, uh, lost and then loved and then confessing Christ as Lord. But now we get into the commission. And basically, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. But I just want to give you three things, actually three names to think of that kind of might help you understand what happens in the commission. Like I told you, you were pardoned for a purpose. You were saved to serve. I believe that when you were knit together in your mother's womb, that God had a destiny with that design. And so you're like, well, then how does it all work? How can I be commissioned now that I'm converted? And, and the first name that I want you guys to grab hold of is the name Ananias. Ananias. You know, because Ananias' name means that God is gracious. That Yahweh is gracious. You know, and you're wondering, well, how in the world can God use someone like Saul? I mean, homeboy was a murderer. How could he possibly use him? And, and I... I, I I just want you guys to know this, man, that, that it's by the grace of God that he will use your life. Don't ever think, well, I have to earn it. Don't ever think that I've got to be good enough. Don't ever even try to figure it out. Sometimes I try to figure it out and I say, Lord, well, how about if I pray for two hours and then, you know, fast for 17 days and... You know, I, I know, and you just, you just try to figure it out, and it just, you just can't. You'll never figure it out. You'll, you'll just, you'll just, you'll just, you'll stay there. You'll be stuck if you try to figure it out. Just accept it for what it is. It's the grace of God over your life. Even Paul later on in First Corinthians, because some people say, because I hear studies, and they say, well, the reason why God chose Paul is because he knew the scriptures so well. He was cultured, he was Grecian, he was Hebrew, he was a perfect combination. And they'll tell you all these things about him. And, and you know, Paul didn't say that. He just said, the reason God chose me is so that I can be a pattern for everyone to see the long-suffering love and grace of God in a man's life. Amen. And I'm telling you guys, it's true. We'll, we'll never earn it, so don't even try to figure it out. Just try to accept it. There's a reason is the guy that went to go lay hands on him is named Ananias. Because it's the grace of God over your life. The only question is, will you receive the grace? Later on in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and I worked harder than them, but it wasn't even me. It was the grace of God in me. He told Timothy, be strong in the grace. That is in Christ Jesus. The moment you start thinking it's because you're good and you're gifted and you're godly, you just mess yourself up. That's, that's one name. Another name, obviously, that you've got to remember is it's the name Jesus. You know, God is, is gracious. And then Jesus essentially means God is salvation. Yehovah, Yahweh is salvation. And, you know, when you look at the, the whole story of the commission here, you see, you know, he's starting to preach and he's starting to learn. And he's starting to reach out. You know, we see here in uh, verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God, that all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has done come here for that purpose so that he might bring then bound to the chief priests, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, 
proving that Jesus is the Christ. You know, again, there's a lot here. And I'm not going to do it justice, but I do want to tell you this. Because I believe that God wants to use your life. And I don't know how you feel about that. For some of you here, maybe it doesn't excite you. You're like, oh, you know what, I, I kind of, I, I just want to go to Disneyland. You know, um, <laughs> you know, and then the beach and vacation and stuff. And that's cool. You can have a good time and everything. But to me, I mean, when my pastor, you know, he just kept telling me over and over and over again. Eventually, like it hit home. Lord, I would love to be used by you. I would love to somehow, some way, help people. How? Grace. How? The name of Jesus. Preach the name of Jesus. Study the the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what God is doing right here is he's teaching me these things, you know, about how Yahweh is salvation. You know, theologians and Christians over the years have said that no single event other than the cross of Christ itself has made such an impact on the course of Christian history as the conversion and commission of Paul. And when you read the Bible, we're going to see that there's so much about this guy, okay? I mean, like I said earlier, there's... uh, 13 letters written by him, Acts chapter 9, and then in Acts chapter 12 and forward, it's all about his ministry. You're like, well, why is there so much about this guy? You want to know why? Because he is a picture of a Christian. He's a typology of a Christian. You're like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to be like Jesus. Yes, we are supposed to be like Jesus. But some people say, well, Jesus was God. Jesus was perfect. You know, we can't be like him. Okay, then the Lord says, let me take somebody. Let me roll up my sleeve, pick up the slimiest creature and use him as an example. (laughs) And that's why we read so much about him. He was lost, but he was loved. And the day that he accepted Christ as Lord into his life, he found forgiveness. And after that conversion, he was commissioned just like we are by the grace of God, by the salvation of God. And the last word is this the last name is this guy that's mentioned right here. His name is Judas. And I know that sounds kind of weird. You're like, well, I like the Ananias guy and the Jesus name, but I don't like that Judas name. <laughs> Well, it gives us something to think about, doesn't it? Two things in closing, you guys. Okay? Don't be a Judas. I mean, the man with with such a, a wonderful opportunity. Think about that. And he betrays the Lord. But 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 more importantly than that, and theologians will say what God is doing right here is he's redeeming names. For example, and Ananias in Acts chapter 5, he was a bad guy. Now this one's a good guy. Judas was, was a bad guy, but now this one's a good guy. And you want to know what his name means at the end of the day? It means praise God. It means, uh, like Mark says, you know, thank you, Jesus. It means that I was so lost. But I'm loved, I'm forgiven, and I'm free. And I will live my life with gratitude and praise and worship and adoration of this God who has saved me.
So the three names, Ananias, Jesus, Judas even, I think it helps us. And I pray that we would live our life with that same act of worship. Isn't that what the Bible says? It says, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. They may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. You know, and it talks about how we are to lay down our life and to be a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable act of praise and worship. Amen.